that peculiar skirl of the bagpipes tells you you're listening to a very special St Andrew's Day edition of the Power of Three podcast, where three lifelong Doctor Who fans, and I'll introduce them to you shortly, discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise a trio of products related to our favourite show. That might be televised adventures, both classic and recent. It could be spin-off novels, books about the show, biographies, magazines, basically anything that gives us the excuse to talk about Doctor Who. And in honour of the special day in the Scottish calendar, we shall do so in an appropriately bad-tempered and belligerent manner. Now, to introduce my co-conspirators, say hello, Davey. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And Kenny. Hello, everybody. And just like to say a special thanks to Jamie Robertson from Big Finish for giving us that lovely version of the theme this week. You have to be a lot more belligerent than that, guys. It's St Andrew's Day. We want to okay. <laughs> Come on, get it up, yeah. I'm right. doing, doing my best to sound... I'm a, I'm a bit blur. We are, we, are, bit we, are, blur. we are the worst cliches for Scotsman ever. Well, we are all sitting here wearing kilts, after all. Yes. I'm Except just, Dave's cheating and he's wearing pants. I've just, um, well, you, you know, otherwise, the, um, yeah, just, just tidying my sporing while I'm about it. So, happy St Andrew's Day. And to you, Tom. And to and you, Dave. yes. Cheers, um, Ken. God bless. We are looking at three Scottish episodes. Um, who's got the first one? Highlanders. It's going to be me. We're going to discuss the Highlanders. Initially introduced as Doctor Who and the Highlanders by the next episode caption at the end of the previous adventure, The Power of the Daleks, was the fourth serial of season four of Doctor Who. It was the last of the, open inverted commas, pure historical, close inverted commas, genre of, Do- of Doctor Who television stories which had been a regular feature of the show since its inception, until Black Orchid in 1982. All four episodes are currently missing from the BBC archives, so thanks again to our friends at tardis.fandom.whataloadofspuriousnonsense.com Oh, that's a bit unkind. It's, it's um, he's being belligerent, aren't you? Oh yeah, of course, right, it's all the whole blood. Yeah, of um, course. It's, it's, that's just become such a, a cliche, isn't it? Until Black Orchid in 1982. <laughs> well, I watched this fairly recently. And, um, Can you just clarify, Tom, that you didn't actually watch the missing episodes? Here's, here's one for the only rumour. Tom, Tom used his connections when he was in Parliament to, um, to actually acquire every episode that's currently missing from the BBC archive. I can neither confirm nor deny the truth of these allegations. <laughs> um, I, on this occasion, I did watch... Well, I watched a couple of versions. I watched the Telesnaps, and I also watched this dreadful thing they've got on YouTube where it's a you know an amateur version and it's put together by computer graphics have you seen this no I'm no incredible. It's, it's really really bad i can't remember the name of the the person who's uploaded it but basically it is it's a it's a teenager presumably who's mucking around with uh, right. computer graphics they're very 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 basic mm-hmm. and the scenery is even more basic and they've still got the soundtrack mm-hmm. but actually looking at these so-called graphics it you don't understand what the hell is going on. It's actually far better to just watch the telesnaps. You know, I, I was probably, it's fair to say, bored to sobs by this. Really? A little bit, because... Interesting. But I, 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 I could recognise that if I'd watched the original television episodes, if I could see the episodes, I think it'd be far more engaged. The telesnaps are too few and far between to get a real understanding and under, you know of the, the depth of the story. Sure. And, and, you know, I wish I could see Hannah Gordon. Because mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. she is, she's totally beautiful, yes. and yes. Uh, and I, I remember loving her in upstairs downstairs not that long after this. Well, actually, no, I think it was quite a bit of time <laughs> after this. She was always a she was always a sort of face 
growing up, wasn't she? Yes, yes. She, was, That's you know, right. she was always sort of like, well, Hannah Gordon. Mm-hmm. And I didn't actually realise until fairly late in life that she was Scottish, despite right. the name, you know, yeah. because she, she, did play, she did play the Scottish accent most of the time, but by the time she appeared in Upstairs Downstairs, she was, she was an English accent. Interesting. So yeah, I mean it's 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 okay, but I have to say it's not an episode because of the tail snap. It's not something I would sit down and, and think, all right, what'll I watch this afternoon? I know yeah, I'll put on yeah. the Highlanders. But yeah. the one thing that does strike me about all of this though is at the end, and we all know the history that uh, Jamie McCrimmon was supposed to be in it for this episode only, and he impressed the producer so much during this that they thought, ah, let's have him in the TARDIS. You guys tell me, uh, what the hell did Michael Craze think? when they decided that they were going to introduce somebody of relatively the same age to, to basically take over his role in Doctor Who. I've often wondered that because, you know, Michael's only been there for, what, he's had four stories? Mm-hmm. So he's had The War Machines, the Smugglers, Death Planet and Power, and then I suppose The Highlanders, and it's a good, again, it's a good story for Ben, he gets that brilliant cliffhanger. He must have been annoyed because there was talk, I mean, there's, there's, there's a certain, there's a couple of scenes in the Moonbase, episode four, I think, when... Jamie and Ben kind of they kind of square up a bit, mm. and it's it's nice to imagine that that was informed by the tension. I don't know. I mean, it's well also in the Moonbase because they hadn't expected Jamie yeah. to come to be there. He's written out from he's written out. He's yeah. unconscious. Have a bang in the head. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's it's all this you know straight away. You know, obviously Annika and, and Mike are having to lose their lines. They're having to be shared around, and it's anytime I've seen Annika yeah. Wells um, being interviewed, she's she's very discreet and professional, but you can tell there's a little bit of edge when she talks about that. Well, how did I get there? <laughs> you old fraud. <laughs> Come on, we must go. What about Jamie? We can't leave him here. True, the ship sailed. What will you do? Oh, I'll be all right. They won't catch me. Do you hear that? They'll catch us all if we don't move fast. Doctor, can we take him with us? If he teaches me to play the bagpipes. If you want, Doctor. <laughs> That's all we need. Come, Come on, Jamie. On. But where are we going? You'll see. But I remember him being up and he was very, very polite. I think it's because they all loved Fraser so much and they got on with him so brilliantly that I think that took away a lot of the tension. So there was a lot of they very quickly they formed a, a good partnership. Well, Michael Craze was there at the same time. Yeah, but the fact that they all got on so well and I think because everybody loved Fraser that mm. that perhaps reduced a lot of the impact. But I think watching it or, or listening to it very interesting to see how Fraser plays the, the accent with a lot more of a kind of glilt. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you notice that that gradually reduces over the, the three stories. It becomes Greenock. Yeah, virtually, yes. Yeah. Which is where his mum's from, actually. Mm-hmm. I know. So I think it's quite a, it's quite an interesting, you know, just to hear the, this evolution of the character. And of course, it's very, the history of it isn't perhaps accurate because it's very much portrayed as a Scotland versus England conflict, whereas those of us who do know a wee bit about it no, it's very much about a group who want Bonnie Prince Charlie to be the king and there are an yeah. awful lot of lowland Scots who were very much against this and it's not quite as black and white as oh, it no, appears. No, absolutely. There were more Scots on the Redcoat side at Culloden than there were at the, on, the, on the rebel side. I mean, I think it's I mean, very much a worthy thing because this was the first time when I, you know, growing up, I think it must have been, what, 1983 when I got the, the Radio Times special and it was the first time I'd really... You know, got a bit of interest in what was actually happening. So, oh, Doctor Who's been there, 
and discovering just yeah. what it was about. You know, getting a bit of, oh, being to Scotland and not just the Zygons mm-hmm. one, which mm-hmm. obviously was the one that was known about because the Highlanders hadn't been novelised at that point. And I remember we, the first time I went to Culloden, I have to excuse the banging there, it's just Dave's killed falling <laughs> off again. Um, right, is your sporran okay now? Yeah, it's all right. It's okay. all right. I'm actually complimenting Dave there if you, if you work out what I'm talking about. When I was, I was very young, went up there and um, remember looking around and I was actually wondering if they had the Highlanders novelisation in stock, <laughs> but evidently they didn't. I, I still think that having Jamie as a character is one of the, just one of the most genius things Doctor Who ever did. Because having a, you know, especially when you're a kid, having a character, a regular character who's a Jacobite from, from the Battle of Gordon, it just really, just that perfectly demonstrates the capacity, you know, the range that the series can go to, you know, the time and space thing. You know, when I was, when I was a little boy and the Crotons was repeated in the, you know, the five faces, it's like, Jamie, we were all talking about it at school, we thought this was amazing that one of the daughter's, you know, friends was a Highlander, it was like, it, you know, the other person was in the far future, it really summed up the whole range of the scope of what they can do with the programme. I've got very fond memories of the novelisation. It's quite... I think it's maybe a story that maybe reads better than it watches. You know I've never mean? read the novelisation. It's, the, the it's first just, time... It's very solid. It's, you know... Who's it by? Jimmy Davis. Yeah. First time I even knew that the Doctor had a Scottish companion is when I bought the novelisation of The Abominable Snowman. Mm-hmm. And he's on the cover and I killed. And I didn't sure, know that, yeah. you know, Jamie mm-hmm. was a... I'd heard of him, but I yeah. didn't really know anything about him. But it's interesting that in this episode, six episodes, is it? Four. Is it four? That although it's got a really interesting historical context, you know, Culloden and, the, you know, the Jacobite uprising, the 45, it, it kind of quickly, it, yeah, weirdly it, diverts into this whole story about else. slavery and yeah. kidnapping people, mm. taking them to the New World and making mm. them work in plantation, you think? Yeah. It's a bit okay. of Robert Louis Stevenson leaking in there. Yeah, it's a bit kidnapped, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Um, I, and I'm not sure it kind of works. It, I, it, it struck me as we don't want to be too political. Um, we don't want to be too realistic. So let's invent. Let's just go a bit Robert Louis Stevenson well, rather than focus on they the were, politics. They were still the BBC was still you know making those you know regular adaptations of, of that sort of thing, weren't they? I mean there was a mm-hmm. there was not was Paul McGann not in an adaptation of Kidnapped quite comparatively recently. Probably seen it. I agree. I think, but they were probably turning towards. The sort of um, the sort of thing that would have been quite familiar to viewers anyway. Mm. You know, it's it wouldn't be too much of a stretch for the viewers to go with it. I think it's um, it's quite struggling for the words. It's I don't want to say a pot boiler. Do you know what I mean? Because that maybe suggests that it's not worth anyone's attention. But it's when I, I was listening to it last week. You know, over listening to it over a couple of nights was for me, you know making my tea and stuff, and I was just like, oh, this is cracking. It's just so old-fashioned in its storytelling. Yeah, I it's think like, it's interesting, know, particularly interesting characters. I mean, um, when you've got Solicitor Grey, yeah. very yeah, interesting, yeah, and, and you've got Perkins. Algernon and Thomas, the fifth of inch. And then the, um, you know, the, the, the twist at the end, when, when, he, when he kind of you know, helps Polly out and all that, and we haven't talked about the, we haven't talked about the Doctor in this story. Oh, of course. Which is mental. You know, it's weird, isn't it? Getting, you get dressed you know, up as a washerwoman. And then he gets dressed up as a red coat. Where does he get that fake moustache from? <laughs> no, that's, that's what I want to know. Now, uh, yeah, that, this is interesting because it was clearly the intention of the writers and the producers at this time that this is this is what the new Doctor would do. Yes. He would dress up as people, he would impersonate yeah. people. Master of disguise. Now, when did they drop that? Was it the next? I think it's Avenger? Underwater Menace. Is the yeah. last Underwater Menace, he kind of, he hides in plain sight with a kind of funny... It's a gypsy kind yeah. of person. Yeah. And some far out shades on it and a sort of cape and a funny yeah. hat. I'm but glad, it's, I I'm glad they that. dropped that. Yeah. yeah I, I, just, I'm not, I, I suppose it can go down to regeneration instability. 
But it's, it's uh-huh, yeah. I mean, they were, they, I mean, they were probably, they were figuring out still what they were going to, going to do with it. They were, yeah. I mean, in those days, they were, is it, you know, evidence for the fact that Fraser was brought on at the last minute? They were, they were making it on the fly. They really mm. were. It was, you know, Terence Dexy's quotation about not wanting to show the test card every week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they would have been like, right, what are we going to do with him? Because, uh, you know, obviously Trout himself had talked about wanting to dress up in various sort of yeah. outfits and looks. So maybe they were trying Well, wasn't there a story that he, he, he contemplated blacking up at one point? Yeah, for his, a, for his a wind jammer captain, I think is the phrase that's been used. Yeah, he was talking about me. There was talk about doing that whole Arabian Nights thing with, yeah. a, with a turban and big earrings. It's, it's incredible. I mean, you know, what would people say nowadays? Would the yeah. second Doctor be cancelled? <laughs> That's right. It would have gone, well, the BBC would have rewritten the whole, yeah. the whole canon. And it would have gone straight from Harnell to Pertwee. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's it's. I, th- I think it's a story. Of the Highlanders. It's 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 very. It's an old fashioned sort of like, you know adventure story, and it's a shame that kind of um they haven't done really something. That, you know, I've been I've been watching the Hanny TV series recently on a bit of a, a John Buchan sort of trip, and there's not it's it watching it has put me in, in the Highlanders at the same time it's put me in mind of it. they've put in mind of each other it's it's just nice little I don't want to say boys own stories because I have no context because I never read boys mm-hmm. own whatever it was but it's there's no aliens there's no twisted plots you know there's no sci-fi elements there's a straight through line you know beginning you know some bad stuff's going on we get it sorted out and it was it was just satisfying for its simplicity I thought I think yeah. it's very much in fitting with the BBC period dramas of the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's and it very much is a continuation Devil. of that I think um, had Patrick and Fraser not worked on something together before. They had, and that, I think that was another Moonfleet. I can't remember. I think it might, that might Silver, be it. There was some, something to do with a sword I've got in my head, but I don't know if that's just mm. something else Fraser was in. Yeah. But um, there was definitely the fact they connected, and it was, and, and let's be honest, it's a great partnership that they did establish. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favourite yeah. doctors. Yeah. Yeah. Jamie's, Jamie's excellent. I mean, it's, it's one of these things that when you watch, when you do the whole sequential sort of time team or pilgrimage, however you want to call it, you watch them all through, you, you realise very, very quickly that Jamie is a very intelligent, very capable character, um, and that's why it's interesting when you get to, when you know he's he very protective, the champion of Victoria. Then there's the rivalry between him and Zoe, in series six. When and I remember when um watching, remember very clearly getting to the Web of Fear and my my sort of pilgrimage. And you know the scene at the start when um the, the ship's flying about because they've just thrown Salamander out in space, yeah. and the Doctor shouting to Jamie to get the controls. And I remember watching it in context in the whole sequence and sort of thinking, of course he's going to do it. It's Jamie. He knows yeah. what he's doing. That's why it's it's funny when you get to series six and Zoe's very dismissive of him, and and and, 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 you know, uh, and talks down to him, but but he still gets the odd scene where he's shown to be capable. And apparently he did seriously consider staying on for the transition to Pertwee. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's yes. I suppose in that respect, it's an important episode of adventure. I just it's just as usual frustration because we don't have. Any I of I think it's one of the first ones that was white as well. I think I'm sure it's. Right. I think it's one of the ones that's statistically the most unlikely to ever be returned. I remember after was, episode seven of Dalek Master yeah, One. I remember reading that it was one of the first ones to have its master videotapes white. After you know the initial sort of yeah. broadcast, which but is a real shame because it'd be a nice, be a nice one to see because the the regulars all get plenty to do and obviously important for bringing in Fraser. Mm. I think there's. I think it was, it was mentioned at one of the BFI events that it was a very strong contender to be animated before they decided to do the faceless ones. Which That's what I was going to ask, So I would definitely be more than happy to see it, although I'd imagine that all those kilts swishing around will cause a few problems mm-hmm. uh, for the animators, but hey, I look forward to it. Good. That was the Highlanders, Okai the New. <laughs> but Tom, <laughs> before you move on, Oh, I hear that um, Scarrow's finest 
have got into horticulture recently. Are they? Um, right. Don't even, don't even try, David. Okay. <laughs> Just let, let them get on with it. Because the finished result was the flower of the Daleks. Next we're going to look at Terror of the Zygons and this is what TARDISFANDOM.com says about that. Here we go. Terror of the Zygons was the first serial of season 13 of Doctor Who. It had been originally produced to conclude season 12 and saw the last regular appearance of Ian Marto as Harry Sullivan and was the first unit story since Robot. Although two more unit stories followed later this season, this was the last appearance of the Brigadier until 1983's Modern Undead. Originally a six-parter entitled The Secret of Loch Ness, it was condensed down to four by script editor Robert Holmes. No significant plot threads were lost in the rewriting. The ending of the non-narrative TV special Disney Time 1975, broadcast just a few days earlier, was designed to tie into the beginning of the serial as it showed the Doctor receiving the message which sends him to the Brigadier at the beginning of Terror. It's from the Brigadier. He's in trouble again. And it's time to say goodbye to all of you. But I'll be seeing you again very soon. Next Saturday, in fact. Goodbye. So is it, is it canon? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, Nicola Bryant's Tom of the Pops appearance has just been made canon by should the we, um, we have to... Oh. We should have a Twitter poll. Shouldn't we? We should have a Twitter poll. We should do a Twitter poll about a whole range of stuff, about whether it's canon or not. Yeah. Like the children need crap that you think is canon. <laughs> Obviously that's not, but it'll be interesting to see what people on Twitter thought. Yeah. And now don't get your spawning in a twist here, Tom. Right, David, what do you think about Terror of the Zygons? I think Terror of the Zygons is, um, it's, quite frankly, it's one of the best stories Doctor Who ever did, simply because Doctor Who doing a story about the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, it's just absolutely. such an open an open goal. It's a gift. It's yeah. it's excellent. It's um it was one of the stories, one of the first novels that I read, one of the class one of the classes I had in primary school. Um we had a copy um on the shelf in the, the little class library and you know, it was there before I was a fan of Doctor Who and it was it just it was there was a you know, there was the Loch Ness Monster, there was the Abominable Snowman and growing up it was sort of thing, you know, that's the sort of thing Doctor Who does. Um I first saw the story when it came out in VHS in nineteen eighty eight. Got it for that Christmas, along with Wing Chang and the second Dalek film. Um, I remember that we ordered them directly using a coupon from the Radio Times. <laughs> and, you know, the anticipation, just being able to watch both those stories that Christmas was, was huge. It's, it's, um, it's, I was, again, stunned by how good it was when I watched it the other night. It's Tom's really bedding in, Elizabeth's really bedding in, the two main unit guys, the Brigham and Benton. They could do it in their sleep by this point. You know, they're, they know exactly what they're doing. It was sad to see Harry disappearing though. Yeah, I loved oh, Harry. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, it's, and it's great when he comes back in the Android Invasion. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real shame that, um, that Ian wasn't kept, kept on, but he, he gets an awful lot to do in that story. You know, he's the one that gets, um, is, gets lost inside the spaceship and kind of um, mm-hmm. gets to figure out what's going on. Um, there's all this, the scenes when, um, you know, when, when, he's, when he gets shot. There's the Elizabeth having to you know, square up to Ian's duplicate. That it's yeah, it's, it's an embarrassment of riches, and I think it's even, you know, there's one little scene when um, when Shuey McPhee from Crossroads, who plays the, <laughs> the the hotel sort of um manager landlord type lad, 
um, you know, the off seat, off camera scenes of him playing the bagpipes. They don't even feel that cliche of Cormac because he's so good and mm. it's 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 just done so well. It's um Robert Banks Stewart and Douglas Canfield and you know, writing and directing it, it, it couldn't get any better. No. And Tom Baker. Absolutely. And I I think it's it's fantastic. I mean you really wouldn't know that it hadn't been shot around Loch Ness. Yeah. It's I think it's so cleverly done. Canfield shot it well, obviously keeping the the background to the minimum because obviously you can't see that it's uh, the rolling Scottish mountains uh, surrounding it but it looks great and it's got such a pace to it as well and the Zygons themselves what a brilliant oh, creation yeah. Yeah, isn't absolutely. it ridiculous that it took so long for them to come back yeah but absolutely. isn't it significant that with every other classic monster that appeared in New Who they had to do a redesign they did some kind of redesign yeah uh, sometimes modest sometimes more extreme but with the Zygons they just put them back in as they were absolutely yeah. Yeah, I think the days for is probably the closest to yeah, yeah, the Zygons, but beyond yeah. that, yeah. I mean, yeah, as Kenny says, the Zygons are, are just terrific, and it's it's um they're almost sort of you know an adjunct to the to the Lord Ness monster sort of plot. There's there's so much going on. Yeah, mm. I think the cast is superb as well. You've got John Woodnut is just brilliant as Broton, and the Duke of Forgill as well. And playing Broton, playing the Duke of Forgill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and there's such diff- and there's, there's minor differences. Three, yeah. And the whole the idea of the voices of the Zygons as well, one that kids can copy. Yeah, that, that is just such a clever idea. Which they haven't done at that point. They hadn't done since the Ice Warriors because that's the one that I always used to copy. Yeah, which are and they again. I mean, they both have a similar kind of sound to them, but a slightly whispered, but obviously a different intonation to it. Slightly more hoarse for the Zygons. Gosh, I'm still giving an acting masterclass here. Um, I, I just think it just it feels Scottish without being gratuitously Scottish. It feels like it's complete natural. And I think you get nice to be touched with right at the start when you get Tom with his wee tartan scarf on and his tam o' shanter. I think it's nice to be touched. What do we all think of the extra scene at the start that oh, they restored? Great. I love it. On the, on the oil rig? Oh no, after that when the TARDIS team arrive, which wasn't... On original right. broadcast. Well, see, I, 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 I've watched it recently on DVD, and I, I did see it on original broadcast, but I can't remember. Oh, there we go. I think it was so beautifully done because they found some of the colour film elements, they found the black and white film elements, and they found the soundtrack elements all separately and years apart. Oh, wow. So when it came to the DVD release, they had to manually have some of these frames from the black and white version restored are put into colour yeah. and it was just all brought together perfectly and you'd never know and the fact that Jeffrey Bergen the composer had actually scored this scene but they dropped it because of the problems with the lighting at the time mm. um, and that was why it was dropped because with the t- between the TARDIS materialising and the empty TARDIS space the light had changed too much so they couldn't use it because it was too noticeable mm. and brilliantly come back it was well so, there you go was, I mean I didn't even notice that there really? was any yeah. anything different from I mean it was it was so nice seeing it because I think um We'd lost Elizabeth at the time it came out. It wasn't, yeah. yeah. And it was just so nice just getting that. Because it's in the novelisation, that little sequence. But it was terrific just sort of um, being able to watch it again. It still is. It still feels quite, yeah. It still feels fresh and new. And it's, it's really, really nice just to have that. You know, after all these years, they still can find these. So, did you, nice did you say you saw it when it went out? Yeah. Yeah. What did you remember it going out? Or what yeah, was, yeah, what, I did. What was your feeling of the Rothschild monster when it went? Oh, you know, uh, yeah, well. Scarrison let's, I mean, this is 75, so I was about 11. You know, the, the, the stop motion animation isn't of Ray Harryhausen um, quality, let's be honest. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think I was vaguely embarrassed by the last scene when, yeah, when the glove puppet appears yeah. at the... The glove know, puppet bit's terrible, but the, um, the stop motion stuff's really good, I think. Yeah, I think the stop motion stuff earlier on when the dot's been chased across the moors, that stands up pretty well, I think. Yeah. Uh, at the end, it lets, it's down, mm-hmm. it lets down a little bit. 
But no, I remember really enjoying it, even when I was when I was eleven. Rewatching it, I'd forgotten about that first scene that I mentioned about on the oil rig mm. when and when, and of course they have to crowbar <laughs> yes. in that yeah. it's Scotland, so he says, "Oh, send us some haggis." Yeah, or because um, any of our listeners who um who don't aren't actually aware of this, we we do though eat haggis at every meal. Well, obviously, I, I, so does everyone. Yeah, in the world. I had some I had some some haggis with milk before I, I jumped round to Tom's this morning. <laughs> um, Tom prepared us some haggis rolls. Yeah, but, but everyone, um, in, everyone in Britain eats haggis all the I'm time. I'm actually going to have to catch a haggis later on. Yeah. Run up the hill because they've got three legs. Yeah, because they are... Can I just point out part of the this idea way. about the haggis having two legs longer than the other two legs so that they can run round hills, that was only one of a number of haggis varieties in the dandy annual. Uh, and and everyone remembers the one with two long legs and two short legs that can run around hills. But yeah. there was actually about six other oh, different really? types of haggis. Right, I try and find that. Yeah, I need to get my haggis A to Z. I need yeah. to check these. Um, I'd forgotten about the different subspecies. Well, I mean that's it's just just one of the side effects of global warming is they're so sensitive to climate that quite a few of them have died out. It's um, it's not <sighs> enough. Not enough's actually said about it. Enough of the haggis, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think um, Saigon, is, it's, I think it's just such a good story. It's You've got characters like the Kaber, um, who's very, the Gillian, you think, yep, these actually, these are people who actually do exist. Yeah. And something I found out through work, there's an awful lot of gamekeepers out there and all these estates have their gillies on them. Years ago, um, I uploaded the sequence of the exploding Zygon ship at the end mm. uh, onto YouTube because I was, I was writing a blog at the time as an MP and... I wanted to write about the brilliant scene at the end where the Brigadier basically predicts Margaret Thatcher becoming Prime Minister because she had just become leader of the Conservative Party at that time. Um, And it's a brilliant scene and there's a lovely bit in uh, the Tom Baker years where Tom is is watching exactly the same clip and that's actually Mm. the VHS that I took it from to put onto YouTube. He is very funny when he talks about you know predicting that, mm-hmm. um, and it's just a lovely, lovely scene because there's no there's no nod to the camera, there's no yeah uh, there's no smart aleckness about yeah. it. It's just very, they play it very straight, yeah. and, and in hindsight, it is very funny. Yeah, very I mean, because when, when I got the VHS, Maggie was still there, and it's um it's because it was it kind of gives it gives a bit of weight to the whole Sarah Jane being from nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing which crops list, up list, in the list, Mars, We'll have to do a is, whole yeah, other is, episode yeah, co- co- is committed another, to the unit know, dating. Let's yeah, not. Captain <coughs> Beans or whatever. What? Unit dating when Captain Yates took Joe Grant? Yes, out. yes, I know yeah. that. I know all about that. But um, <laughs> No, it's. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> no, but you're right. I mean, who, who was Prime Minister in 1975? Harold Wilson. Mr. Wilson. I see. I see. And she didn't become Prime Minister four years later. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, cause I remember, obviously, with my, my famous. Um, my famous namesake. I remember because I remember going home from school and asking my mom, "Did we win?" <laughs> you mean my famous na- namesake? She's like, "No." Um, I th- I think it's, it's quite obviously it was meant to be Shirley Williams was the plan when Nick Courtney changed the thing. But at uh, right, so it wasn't scripted then. It wasn't scripted. So it was Nick Courtney changed. Right, that's so all he'd make it to Shirley Williams was the intention. Right. Um, but, well, he doesn't mention her name. He just mentions. The oh, I just man, but that was man. his personal intention. He mentioned oh, that, that years right? later. Oh, that was at a fan event or. A, a, GNT organised event in Paisley in '92. That's really and, interesting. Um, and it was Shirley Williams, and uh, and then sort of almost like dropped his voice and said, "Little did we know who we were going to get." <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, it was quite a nice touch, and obviously with Nick being a big union man, it was it was quite ironic and yeah. quite amusing.
Was that bang big enough for you, Brigadier? Nicely done, Doctor. Well, that's the end of the Zygons, eh? Not entirely. Broton escaped, and he still has control of the monster. He plans to attack some target in London. Close to the Thames, huh? Exactly. This time, it'll be something really spectacular. I've just remembered. When I spoke to the PM earlier, she was about to leave for Stanbridge House. And that's on the river. What's happening there? The Fourth International Energy Conference. The place will be full of VIPs from all over the world. It's a meeting of crucial importance. Ah! That could be it, Brigadier. You know, I love Terror of the Zygons. It's one of those, if I'm thinking, what do I want to watch? Mm. If I'm, if I, it's an easy option to go with, because I know I'm going to yeah. love it. There's a lot of good Hinchcliffe stories like that, isn't there? You yeah. just think, it's almost like, which Beatles album will I listen to? I'll listen to Revolver, Rubber Soul. You just know you're going to get some gold. I just the... think that Terror of the Zygons um, is a perfect example to contradict John Nathan Turner's claim that the memory lies. Because you look back at almost any Hinchcliffe era story, mm-hmm. and frankly, it's bloody brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's great. You've got good characters. Great monsters, a good solid script. I mean, Robert Banks Stewart, of course, was was Scottish as well. Yeah. Uh, from Edinburgh and a former journalist at the Daily Record. I had the honour of interviewing him not long before he passed away, and it was fascinating just to chat to him. His insight, of course. I don't know if you've seen his Avengers episode, Man Eater of Surrey Green, which is very, very um, almost like a a prototype Seeds of Doom. Right. So yes, he uh, his I, his I, genre I writing. The, I bought the DVD box set of that Avengers season just to see that episode. Really. Yeah. It's that good. It's very yeah, when the old, the old nipper staff discount came in handy. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll I, have I, to look for that. I've not seen it. Yeah, but I mean, it's Robert Banks Stewart did two Doctor Who's for TV and his third one, which obviously later became reworked by Robert Holmes for Talons of Wen Chang. I think great, definitely one of the great Doctor Who writers. Mm. Two, two scripts, two absolute knockout hits. Definitely. At this stage, can I just ask you to subscribe to us on iTunes, and if you like us, leave a review. If you don't like us, do not leave a review. Follow us on Twitter at Power of Three Pod. That's three as a number. Power of Three Pod. We also have a Facebook page where you can leave comments, suggestions, and of course, listen to episodes of this podcast. And if anyone listening to this can offer their own theories as to why we used a photograph of Prince Andrew to illustrate the last episode. Of power of three, then please give me your suggestions. I, I actually I had a couple of people message me directly. Yeah. My friend, my friend, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't name them actually. I wouldn't say who. One of my friends said, "You know, you've got a picture of Prince Andrew," <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, yeah, that was, uh, that was Tom." Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh, "All right, was it? So it's deliberate." I was like, "Mm-hmm." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little bit uh, obscure, and it's not just the fact that it's Prince. Andrew has been on trial by media. <laughs> no. no, no, that's right. Indeed. So, um, yeah, give us your give us your possible answers and interpretations as to why. Well, I like I like to come up with um original and, and quirky illustrations. So, no, for yeah. instance, that last episode where we had a picture of prawn sushi. Yes, yes you know. Yeah, get, I mean, you got to get the fans working. Come, I mean, yeah. I didn't sleep for a week. Yeah. Well, my primal fears. Well, for this edition, if needs be, I've got a lovely picture of Sylvester all dressed in a kilt. Uh, which you can have if you want. Yes, from, that would be Scottish that would be nice where I work. Who's going to tell us about Tooth and Claw? That'll be me. Right, so deep breaths, everyone. Baron. Tooth and Claw was the second episode of Series 2 of Doctor Who. Tardisode 2 serves as its prologue. Written very quickly by Davis, presumably that's Russell T. Davis, 
Tuthenclaw nonetheless had a significant impact upon the mythology of the Doctor Who universe. It established the narrative origins of the Torchwood Institute and thus was significant to the overall Torchwood story arc in Doctor Who and to the Torchwood spin-off as well. As an early 10th Doctor episode, it set down some important character beats for that still young incarnation. In particular, the story saw the 10th Doctor's first remembrance of his lost race, with Queen Victoria's talk of loss and death. In addition, it showed David Tennant's Doctor to be an aficionado of 20th century pop culture. It also confirmed that this incarnation would occasionally use his tongue to identify the chemical composition of non-foodstuffs. Kenny's making me laugh. Just as he had earlier done in the Christmas Invasion. Um, behind the scenes, the episode was a new unusual in that it had a guest visual effects artist because the wolf was to have close-ups and animal hair was at the time particularly difficult to portray convincingly. The mill, were com the mill were compelled to import a CGI hair specialist for this one adventure. We could do with one of those. We could indeed. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, Tooth and Claw. I love Tooth and Claw. I can see this, it has its flaws, but I have a very, very special affection for it. As I think I mentioned when we discussed New Earth, I was invited along to the press screening of this episode that was held in Glasgow, because obviously we had a Scottish doctor and an episode set in Scotland, and they were still doing the publicity drive. Doctor Who was still a new and inverted commas series for the BBC. So they came up to get the Scottish media on side. And very, very quickly, they had us eating out the palms of their hands. Um, it was shown in Glasgow at the CCA, and uh, the episode went on the screen there. So, you know, sat in the room, watching the episode with Russell T Davis, David Tennant, Billy Piper, Stephen Moffat, Phil Collinson, uh, some of the guys from the mill as well. And it was very much... Uh, you know, it, it really did feel special to me, because this was... I'd seen Christmas Invasion, but... This was uh, my first proper view of the new series. So that, was this before, how long before transmission was this? This was about a week and a half well, before oh, transmission. Oh. In fact, the other day I was having a look for some stuff and I found my press invite and everything for this, Brilliant. which was fantastic. Um, I mean, for me, it's, it's a bit of a, a given, it's a thing to do. You've got an actor like David Tennant, says a story in Scotland, so why not give him something to let him bed in early doors and revert to... A Scottish accent, but it's definitely not his natural Scottish accent. It feels almost like it's been slightly softened rather than the, the, the straight Paisley accent that um, our David has as well. Um, I mean, it's very much, it sets the pace. It's a, it's a bit of a, to use a word, romp, where you've got everything's on the move constantly. The story doesn't settle in one place for too long. It's moving along at some pace. Mm. You've got the Doctor and Rose setting up their relationship completely different from the Eccleston and Piper dynamic. The fact that these are two mates having a laugh. But uh, I know that Dave has some issues with this, which we've discussed previously and I'm sure he'll mention shortly. Yeah. But for me, it's very much, it sets the, it's a very much a feel-good story as long as you're not one of the guest characters who's going to get ripped apart by the wolf. Um, and it moves along at pace, beautifully directed, and the CGI werewolf was, I believe, done by the same people who worked on the Harry Potter third film, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, which really? Of course. Of course. Um, so yeah. probably Doctor Who got some second-hand Harry Potter mm. technology there. It's a really strong story mm. to start that season off. Obviously, it probably would actually work better as an opener than New Earth, which we've mentioned previously. With a little help from me, nearly took off the thumb. And I like my thumb. I need my thumb. I'm very attached to... 
My thumb. 1879. Same difference. You will explain your presence and the nakedness of this girl. Are we in Scotland? How can you be ignorant of that? Oh, I'm, I'm dazed and confused. I've been chasing this, this wee naked child over hill and over dale. Isn't that right, yeah? Timorous beastie. Oh, guy, I've been out in a boot. No, don't do that. Hoots, mon. No, really don't. Really. Will you identify yourself, sir? I'm Dr James McCrimmon from the township of Balamori. Uh, I have my credentials, if I may. As you can see, a doctorate from the University of Edinburgh. I trained under Dr Bell himself. Let them approach. I don't think that's wise, ma'am. Let them approach. You will approach your carriage and show all due deference. Introduce Her Majesty Queen Victoria, Empress of India and Defender of the Faith. Rose Tyler, ma'am, and my apologies for being so naked. For me, Tooth and Claw is a pretty solid story. It's not ever going to win a season poll, but for me, it's a good seven out of ten story. All right. Uh, see, uh, by looking at your face, Davey, yeah. we're going to get some controversy here, it's, which is good. Yeah, we're on that. it's a it's a weird one for me because too much while I get used to 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 what Tennant did. Because I've been such a big Eccleston fan, but I think you know, certainly at the start of season three, you know, I was I was I was on side, and then you know, I remember at one point when we viewed this first series, I thought it was you know from the word go, I thought it was excellent. It was really was. Watching it this time, I kind of the thing that struck me was um, as you know, as Kenny says, the pace is just it's 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 relentless, it's brilliant. I at the time I remember being slightly irritated by by the Doctor and Rose dynamic. And it really got in the way for me this time. I was completely on side with with Queen Pauline Collins, and and you know wanting to banish them by the end of it, you know, because it was just <laughs> get tea. You know, they were so irritating. I mean, the thing is, at the same time, there is there is something a bit joyous just in watching two absolutely beautiful people just absolutely having the time of their life and going for it and just. You know, owning well, it. They weren't and, quite going for it, Dave. Well, no, but no, it's no, a family podcast. Dave. Well, you know what I mean. Just like they, they, they know what they're doing with the series. They know what yep. they're doing with their characters. They've got a gift. They've got a gift of a script. They give, they give them both lots to do with lots of jokes and lots of exciting bits. And they, and they're just you know they're giving it all. They're giving it their all. And you know, and you'd have to be. I'd have to be really really churlish if I wasn't going to say that that was good. But. There are moments just when you when you I was watching this time going oh but the two of you just pack it in, <laughs> but it's again it's it's interesting because you know we we've talked I think we've talked before about the um how the you know certainly Tom and I have talked about it the um the romanticizing of the Doctor and the companion relationship and this is definitely the sort of start of it, and you know the way she sort of Rose is just sort of dancing around the console sort of following them and you know and they're hugging every two seconds and and yeah you know. Okay, fair enough. I just kind of, <laughs> I just found it a bit like you know, especially this time, just a bit annoying. I mean, I wish you could remember the names of all the the brilliant actors who are in it. Well, I was there's so I, many I, good I made people. A, I made a couple of notes. I mean, obviously you were Pauline Collins, and is this mm. her first appearance? Since Second, Faces she did. Ones? It's the first one since Faces Ones. Yes. Yeah, she she's outstanding. Which brings me to another question. I'd written a wee note about this. 
in the classic series, there's a lot of actors who make multiple appearances, Gene Marsh, etc. Of course, yeah. And many, many more. In Very the cool. new series, have we got the same uh, phenomenon? We've had... I mean, apart from Capaldi, obviously. Yeah, yeah. well, well there's a couple Fima and, and Karen both, but... But there's also... Oh, well, yeah, um, Karen. In Gridlock, there's the actress playing Brannigan's wife, uh, later reappeared as Bill's mum in series 10. Right. I believe uh-huh. there's... I'm trying to think it's a couple. Obviously, we've got actors like Paul Casey playing multiple monsters. Yeah. But yeah. in terms of before the camera rolls, no, you're. I think you're right. Yeah. I think there's, there's, there's not, not been there's not, not been quite so many. As many. Okay. I, mean, I, um, I I did. I, I with Kenny on this. I loved Tooth and Claw. I loved it at the time. I loved it again yesterday when I watched it again. It, 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 watching it, I could. Th- I I was reminded of just how exciting it was when when Doctor Who came back to our screens. You know, I've mentioned this before about. When you're a kid and when you're a bit older watching the classic series, you were a little bit embarrassed if there was a bad special effect or if yeah. or if Sylvester McCoy was in it. <laughs> and, and you yeah. didn't want other people to be <clears throat> watching it with you. And I watched Tooth and Claw and I thought, yes, anyone watching this would think this is brilliant. I was watching it with Carolyn and, and she said, that's far too scary to be put on at tea time. And it was, you know, when the man was about to change it's into the open, his eyes it? were going yeah, black. Very, very well done. That was just, you know, really chilling. Mm-hmm. There's a, um, one of the actors you mentioned, uh, I noticed him this time. Obviously, I didn't notice him back in 2006. Mm-hmm. Jamie Sives, who played Captain Reynolds. Now, he played Jake McCall in Guilt, which has just been on yes, recently. So right. he was the brother of yeah. Mark Bonner. Right. Um, and it's lovely to see those kind of actors who weren't yes. that big at the time but since then yeah. they've they got a better name I for themselves do you know what I hadn't even clocked it was the same guy he's so good it was the voice that tipped me off and as soon as I heard the voice I thought wait a minute that sounds familiar and I checked it on IMDb I watched Guilt yeah. oh you're you know, too busy it's fantastic it's just been really really good um, yeah that's the plan I did think a better name for the episode would have been Empire of the Wolf because that's mentioned a couple of times yep. by, by characters I just thought it was Terrific. I just, I, I couldn't see. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, David, about the, the relationship, but I can understand why it might irritate probably f- diehard fans. I don't think it would irritate anyone outside that, that group. It's just, it's just, they're so smug. They are. Do you know what? That, that's what it is. And, yeah. and I think, to be honest, I think, I think Russell knew what he was doing. He was doing that deliberately because people are going to watch it because they're not as bad in subsequent stories. And I think Russell was doing that deliberately, deliberately because I remember saying to to my, my pal Colin at work at the time, I think I think he's setting them up for a fall. You know, mm-hmm. spoilers. Yeah. But you know, I think you know that's the seed. It's like right, you know, they're um they're hubris if that's the word is gonna you know it's gonna get the better of them. Yeah. So you know, obviously it was done for a reason. It's it's difficult. It's difficult not to. You can't you can't you can't not appreciate the fact this is two actors who are just you know. Having a great time and selling it really, really well. And I wish that David kept the Scottish accent. I just wish he played it with this. He sounded great. Yeah. I think one of the strengths of it is that too often in, in Doctor Who, right throughout its whole run, classic and new, the writers have often relied on a Deus Ex Machina yeah. intervention. Sure. Where, you know, when you watch um, the uh, Scottish falsetto sock puppet. Episodes, yes, and they make fun of Doctor Who in a very affectionate way, um, and they'll talk about a plot twist, and say, I'll, I'll tell you later, and and that's <laughs> too often how yeah. Doctor Who is resolved. You yeah. know, oh, look at this magic thing that's just coming. Well, even you, you, you damn me for saying it, but Pyramids of Mars has a little bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. But, but in Tooth and Claw, 
it's not. It's brilliantly it's set, set up. up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with the Koenig diamond and the telescope, and it was just brilliant. I didn't see that coming, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was a really clever, intelligent way of resolving it, yeah. which doesn't happen all the time during Rusty Davis's and, mm-hmm. and particularly in the season finales. In future episodes, mm-hmm. we're going to be talking about one that really irritates me. But on um, this one, I just thought it was fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it's definitely... It's one, if it's on in the background, as often happens in my house, if you've got a watch on in the background and you see Tooth and Claws on, that's one where you actually, okay, I'm going to pay attention yeah. to it. Yeah. And, and, and CGI, of course, it's dated, but, it, but it's even, even now it's thing, pretty yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, the wolf it does look great. In fact, it even spawned an action figure, says quite a lot as well. Yeah. Right, well, that was Tooth and Claw. I enjoyed it. I think um, you wouldn't have should to... We, should we offer marks out of ten? No. Is that a thing? I can't do marks out of well, ten. I, I already have. I've said seven. I can't, I can't do marks out right, of ten. Do, do a mark out of two then, Dave. Mark out of two. Well, I have to, have to give it two because I can't be that much of a dick. Oh, so, so 100%. You love that. <laughs> yeah, go. If oh, I right, to, he likes it even more than Kenny. <laughs> wow. No, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I can't... So that was... So Dave's favourite episode of all time. Ever. Tooth and Claw. I wouldn't repeat myself, but no, it's... um. It's it, it it does its job, you know. It's and it's. I mean, I'm I'm a massive massive Torchwood fan, so it's um it was quite. It, I enjoyed that arc when it was getting played out that yeah. year. It was a lot of fun. And we'll have to mm-hmm. talk about Torchwood in a bit longer yes, length at some we point. Do some yes. Torchwood episodes. Yeah. Right. Well, that is kind of it for this episode of Power of Three. Put some on. Okay. Taps off. Goodbye. And we are amused. Woodsman, there's a moose, moose, but this hoose.